Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Good morning, my beloved friends. I want to focus my sermon today on that one singular, beautiful sentence from the Gospel of John that we just heard. And to do so, I want to start with a beautiful love story. It was a bright, crisp Sunday morning in November 1787 in the city of Philadelphia. Absalom Jones and his friends were headed into Sunday services as they, as they had become accustomed to over the years attending St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church. What greeted them that morning was unexpected and would change their lives forever. Rather than being shown to the seats that had been designated for the black membership along the back wall of the sanctuary, they were told that they were now assigned to sit in the newly constructed upstairs gallery in a section designated for blacks only. You see, what had happened was Absalom, along with his very good friend Richard Allen, had been so successful in sharing the good news of the gospel with others that they had increased the black membership of that church to the point where the vestry made the decision to build a separate place for them to sit to avoid the possibility of having whites having to mingle so closely to blacks during worship. The service had already begun when they arrived that morning, and while this was being communicated to them, Absalom heard the minister in the front of the church begin to pray. Everyone in the group stopped listening to the instructions of the usher, and instead, together, they knelt down to pray right where they were in the center of the aisle. During that prayer, the ushers of the congregation tried to pull Absalom and others to their feet and escort them upstairs, but they refused to get up until the prayer was finished. At the conclusion of the prayer, this group with Absalom stood, turned around, walked out the door as a group, and never returned. Their response that morning is believed to have been one of the first protests of free blacks in America. That morning's events set a number of other events in motion, resulting in the establishment of the Free African Society. That society, led by Absalom Jones and Richard Allen, was the first black independent organization in America. It was established as a benevolent, self-help empowerment group, ecumenical in nature, reaching out to serve the spiritual and physical needs of both free and enslaved Africans in Philadelphia. It grew in numbers and eventually voted to affiliate itself with the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States, and Absalom Jones served as their first pastor. In 1794, seven years after that November morning at St. George's, the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania 
accepted St. Thomas African Episcopal Church as the first African-American Episcopal parish in the United States. It would then take 10 more years, but with, the, with God's help in 1804, Absalom Jones was ordained the first African-American to be ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church. And for the rest of his ministry, Absalom Jones worked tirelessly for the causes of freedom and justice for all. I think this is both an exquisitely beautiful and heartbreakingly sad love story, don't you? To me, it speaks of a kind of courage and resilience I can hardly imagine, as well as the challenges Absalom and others faced living during a time of explicit racism, religious hypocrisy, and institutional bigotry. Of course, it's not the kind of love story you will see and hear represented on greeting cards tomorrow for Valentine's Day. No, this is a more consequential kind of love. The power of this love story points and pulls us towards the kind of love that Jesus calls us to live out in our lives as followers of the way. It's the kind of love that gives flesh and bones to the words of the gospel mandate we just heard from the gospel according to John. Jesus' words are as simple as they are profound. Love one another as I have loved you. This is not the first time that we hear these words in John's gospel. Two chapters earlier in John, Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, and he tells them that he is going away soon and that they cannot follow. And then he tells them, perhaps after a moment of intentional silence, maybe looking into their eyes knowing that he is on the precipice of saying goodbye forever, that the one thing, the one thing that they absolutely must do in his absence, the one thing that will guarantee their identity as his followers once he is gone, the one thing is to love one another as he has loved them. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about this a lot. What does it really mean to love one another? And if it is so important to those of us who follow Christ, honestly, why do we seem to fail at it so often? Now, I'm not just talking about how the church as an institution fails in living out this mandate, though it certainly has and does perhaps as much in the 21st century as it did in the 18th century for Absalom. But this week, I've been thinking about it a lot as well. This past Wednesday, a number of new Trinity folks met together on Zoom to introduce themselves and to talk a little bit and to share some stories. I shared that I grew up in a family that traveled extensively all over the world as a child, I was exposed to many different religious traditions, and each, in its own way, seemed to embrace some version of sacrificial, self-emptying love. My context informed my choices, and my family influenced the life of faith that I followed on and off for years. But even when I wandered down different spiritual paths, what was clear to me was the need to find a way to live this mandate, to love one another as Jesus loved us. As a young adult, I wandered away from the church because it felt like a place of politics and hypocrisy, 
a place where even Jesus wouldn't be comfortable claiming, a place too concerned with who was out and who was in, a place where worshiping things seemed to matter more than serving Jesus through tending to the needs of others, a place where only certain people had voice and vote and presence and a place of belonging. Love seemed to have very little to do with the church that I experienced as a young adult. And now, as a, well, less than young adult, I still see us often dividing ourselves in precious affinity groups at times, all of us falling short more of the time than we want to claim, and less of the time honoring the gospel mandate we just heard. This one small but all-encompassing mandate to love one another. Over the years, probably not unlike you, I have traveled through a spiritual landscape that has included many hills and valleys. There have been times of great joy and purpose, connecting deeply with others and seeing the fruits of this mandate to love one another. There have also been times of devastating pain and frustration, often instigated by myopic tendencies of the church either unable or unwilling to embrace, this, embrace the centrality of this mandate. I believe more and more in the power of stories, the power of stories to shape our faith journeys, both our own stories and the stories of those who have come before us. It is our shared lived experience that seems to offer the moments of insight and transformation that find heart and take root and can make meaning for us. That is what makes stories like those of Absalom Jones and his friend Richard Allen so compelling. They have the power to become talismans, guides, and sparks of hope when we need to garner courage and inspiration. Absalom Jones's story is a love story because he let this kind of gospel love guide him and direct him. He faced rebuke and rejection by living out the kind of love that is willing to lay down one's life for another. Absalom allowed his love for truth and freedom to conquer what must have been fear on that Sunday morning in Philadelphia. He, like so many others in our history, found courage to resist the powers and temptations of conformity in this world and lived according to the kind of love that didn't yield to anything less than full humanity, full freedom, and full dignity. The story of Absalom Jones, when read alongside Jesus' mandate that we love one another, I believe has the power to inspire us today if we too are bold and humble enough to resist the temptation to hear it as a quaint telling of a story of someone long ago. It can and will inspire us if we let it push us out of our comfort zones, pull uh, our heads out of our sands of complacency, and see where and how the brutality of racism today is still trying to kill acts of the Spirit every day all around us. Absalom shaped his response to the gospel, and we are being summoned to do no less. The task of changing the world through this kind of love will remain elusive, my friends, until we wrap our heads and hearts around this mandate to love one another in each of our lives and as a mandate for this community of faith. This is not an easy love 
or a love that comes without deep struggle. The mandate to love one another as Jesus loved is much harder, much messier, much more mind-boggling than I think we ever really want to admit. This love that Jesus radiates and describes, as far as I can discern, is demonstrated in behavior that echoes the truth, humbly yet forcefully recognizing and celebrating nothing less than the full humanity of every human being. I began this sermon this morning with a love story. I would like to end with another. This past week, I gave myself a gift, another kind of love story. I read a book that has recently become the center of much angst and attention and even banned in a number of school districts in the South. Dear Martin, written by Nick Stone, is a young adult novel that was written in 2017. The book follows Justice McAllister, a young black high schooler attending a predominantly white preparatory school. After an incident of racial profiling with a police officer that turns violent, Justice begins writing a journal of letters to Martin Luther King Jr. Each journal entry in the book begins with the tender salutation, Dear Martin, as if he were writing to a contemporary friend. Near the end of his first entry, Justice writes, I want to try to live like you, Martin. Do what you would do. See where it gets me. The story that unfolds is both heartbreaking and triumphant in many ways. One that grapples with the coming of age story of a young man and the pain and the intricacies of racism today. It was indeed a love story of epic proportion and not because of a necessarily happy ending in any traditional sense, but because there were such clarion moments in which the gospel mandate to love one another was either lived or lost, upheld or destroyed, embraced or jettisoned from possibility. Should a story like this be banned? No more so than the telling of those who have walked before us trying to live lives of dignity and respect. There is violence and insidious racism rampant in Justice's story and there is beauty and a mother's love for her child and a friend's tragic end. By the end of the story, the reader is spent, no doubt. But maybe that's what we need from time to time. So how do we hear and love and live out these love lessons in these stories of our own as well? How do, as a new friend recently said to me, how do we simply become good humans. Fortunately or not, Jesus doesn't provide us with an explicit instruction manual for how to go about writing our love stories. It seems to me the best that we can do right now is to learn to listen well to the stories that come across our paths every day, to find people and places that want to hear the truth of our own love stories, and then with courage and resilience, let those stories help shape who and how we embrace the one mandate set before us every day, learning to love one another. Dear Absalom, Martin, and Justice, 
We want to try to live like you. Do what you do and see where it gets us. May it be so.